Welcome to A Voice from the Hills. I'm James Warner, co-founder of Silicon Hills Wealth Management here in Austin, Texas. And our guest on today's podcast is Christian Smith. Christian is the founder of RIE Oasis. She's an expert on all things fintech and a master at helping financial firms integrate their tech stack and their everyday processes along that journey toward an improved client experience. Kristen began her career as CEO of a small Wisconsin firm at a time when faxing and trade requests was considered a technology. By the time she left, that firm had grown to over $1 billion in asset center management. And they did so by being an early adopter of the latest tech, expanding their return on efficiency through consistently repeatable processes, and saving time and improving the client experience along the way. Kristen knows the tech stack of our industry intimately, but also knows the pain points that all firms encounter along the way. So please join me in welcoming our guest, Kristen Smith. James Warner is the founding partner of Silicon Hills Wealth Management and the host of A Voice from the Hills podcast. All opinions expressed by James, his co-host, and his guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Silicon Hills Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Silicon Hills Wealth Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Good morning, Kristen, and thank you for joining us. So glad to be here. Now, let's turn back the clock a little bit. We're going to go back to 2005. Uh, you're CEO of a small firm. Describe what that world looked like for you then and how things have evolved from there. Sure. Turning back the clocks. Um, as a correction, um, I was the COO, so not CEO. But um, as a COO of a very large RIA, and actually back in that day, we weren't that large. We were a hybrid model. So the firm here in the Midwest was part of a broker dealer. And then we decided to start our own RIA and really start funneling that all of those assets into a place where we could be the fiduciary and where we could manage the assets um, with a lot of independent tech that we had our eyes on. But the way I tell the story is actually in, in back in the day, in 2005, 2004, um, the internet hadn't really been invented yet. <laughs> it was there, but nobody really knew about it. We weren't um, texting then. People were sharing cell phones if they even had one. We were faxing trade requests up to the trade desks. And so it was just a different world. So I was lucky enough to work for an RA that wanted to do technology first. And so with that, um, I looked up, tried to find, talked to friends um, what different CRMs there were. Because at the time, the CRM we had in our office was server-based, meaning I walked around with a floppy disk to update everybody's <laughs> CRM and, and kick them out of their offices. So that's just what happened back then. Um, so we uncovered that there was this new technology um, in the cloud. Nobody knew what that meant. Uh, it was called Redtail. Uh, and that was actually my first technology, you know, dive, if you will, for a firm. So I was one of the first firms on Redtail and Brian McLaughlin's a dear friend of mine, very excited for them and all the things that are coming their way with Orion. Um, throughout the 10 years that I was there, we moved to three different CRMs, ultimately uh, created our own Salesforce uh, proprietary model. Uh, we moved portfolio management systems four times. Uh, multiple financial planning tools, and ultimately created our own tech stack, if you will. And that's before people were really trying to put all the pieces together. 
So as a firm, we really had to create what we called a tech advisory team. Every single installation of what we were building had to evolve while we were growing as a firm. So as we were putting millions onto the platform, what we needed out of systems and what was required out of systems became very different. So and I with think all you refer to businesses that you engage with now as, as being either too big to be small or too small to be big. That's exactly uh, it. Like maybe you had a little bit of that going on during, uh, you know, during this trip. Uh, absolutely. We absolutely did. First of all, any firm that's looking at tech and trying to create the ultimate stack is going in blind and somehow you always feel blind, right? Am I choosing the right tech for me? Do I have the most updated version of the tech? What if something changes? What if, you know, something gets bought out? Um, so absolutely, we were sitting in that space of wanting to buy the bigger house so all of our clients could move into it and all of our advisors could fit into it. But at the same time, when you buy a bigger house, as you know, you have four more bathrooms and six more bedrooms. And, and so you don't necessarily fit there and upkeeping that is really hard. And I think what I also mean by that statement is you also have to uphold your best practices and for some firms build them, right? So when I talk about new client onboarding or new account opening or client meeting process, I know that all RIAs know how to do it. They can do it within an hour if a client is showing up on their doorstep, absolutely. But the question is, is it organized? And if I came in as a temp, as an assistant for the day, could I find the process and help you? Is there a process written that's repeatable that we could trigger so that if somebody does leave the office, wins the lottery, whatever scenario we want to put, or if suddenly um, that does happen, we see it all the time, we're in the advice industry, right? So a client suddenly needs our attention. Can we trigger things to get the team involved without moving mountains, right? without messaging everybody on Slack or on Teams and without running around like a chicken with their heads cut off, can we run the business while we have, you know, in incremental change? And I think that's the challenge for smaller firms that are growing. And you, you kind of talk about in that in terms of two key questions that we have to address, you know, as it relates to really our, our tech stack, our processes, everything else. Is it helping us today? And can we grow with it? Right. Yeah. You know, That's exactly how do you help firms answer those two questions? Good question. Um, number one, it's very hard to have your eye on the ball, but also keep up with the Joneses, right? So a lot of what I do is uh, to, keep, to keep in mind how I approach things as a consultant, because consultants can be very scary for firms, right? Um, They're terrifying, yes. It's terrifying, <laughs> right? Number one, I'm opening the robe. So anything you thought you were hiding from your staff, from your clients, from each other, nobody's talking about, we're going to talk about it. And by the way, even if you're not talking about it, I see it. I've recognized it. I'm you know, going under the hood. So it is very vulnerable. But with that, I think that there is a difference in keeping up with what's going on with tech. So am I on Twitter? Do I know what's cool? Am I watching all the updates from all the vendors that I have versus agnostically looking at what's coming out and saying, is it right for us? Okay. And it, sometimes it's not when we talk about integrations. Integrations are not sexy at all. 
they're not. So when I start explaining the actual function of an integration, I have a lot of firms who are like, oh, that's not really magical. I already have the tab open on my screen. Why is a single sign-on so great, right? Or, oh, I thought all this information flew back and forth. No, we're still very kindergarten-esque in what integrations can do. And also remember, we are mandated by the federal government and states and FINRA that only allow us to share certain confidential information across platforms. So some of that is definitely a lockdown of, of confidential info. But with that, looking at it and saying, does that impact us to be more efficient? Or do some of those integrations just make our people run around doing things 15 times over, right? So I think that's one piece of it. Also, I keep firms focused on what's important. So if we're doing a CRM optimization or I'm converting you off of a platform and you're suddenly looking at the new workflow tool in Calendly, nope, come back, okay? That's blingy, okay? So it's very much to stay focused. And then also I can filter it out very quickly and say, oh, that other tool you're looking at has some cool stuff. Let's look at it in a month versus nope, has nothing to do with you, doesn't even apply to you. You do not have to do the demo and you don't have to, you know, take a look at it. So for some firms, I'm that guardian angel of what do I need versus what do I want? I consider myself a little bit of um, a coach to keep everybody on track. We, um, I would love it if somebody in the industry would do a survey of how many advisors have ADHD, hypervigilance, or any other attribute. I think we all do. I have it myself. So the idea of what is the strategy, what are the goals, and then also you don't just implement this stuff. You don't flip a switch and suddenly we're using it. You have to turn your processes into that tech. And that's what nobody's doing right now. So give us an idea. Let, let's, let's, uh, let's open the kimono for you for a little bit. So out of all the tech things that you know, if, if we went zero to 10, 10 mm -hmm. being expert knowledge, zero being novice, how many techs, add-ons, integrations, things like that, would you rate yourself five or better? Uh, wow. Um, enough about me. What do you think about me? Let's see. Um, I'm Italian and that was one of my father's sayings always. So at the core, let's talk about the tech stack. Let's break that down. And then where my centricities are, are the best. Number one at the core, I'm a financial planning centric consultant. So I do lead with financial planning partly because that's how I grew up in the industry. Now being a part of a hybrid RA for 10 years, completely learning the broker-dealer business. Our office was an OSJ office, so we were you know, the, the supervisory jurisdiction for a lot of other firms. So I get how it operates and I understand the hurdles. But when we're looking at independent RAs and we are financial planning centric, I believe that there's four key systems that have to be in place. Your business can't be running without them, which is CRM, portfolio management, which by the way, portfolio management is the reconciliation of accounts in order to gain performance plus billing, okay? And then it can be a lot of other things, which is the issue. It could be a client portal. It could be a trading rebalancing tool. It could be a light financial planning tool, like the list goes on. ITs, that's kind of why I have a job, right? Is because if something just stayed in its lane, it would be easier to understand and implement. That's number two. Number three is financial planning software. And number four is, is client portal or that experience for a client to log into. So I work in those four core systems, but technically I work in about 80 systems when it really breaks down to the different vendors and then also quick win tools. 
So if we say quick win tools, what I mean by that is um, form filling software, auto scheduling tools, trading and rebalancing tools, um, mind mapping tools, uh, you know, DocuSign for e-signature, other e-signature offerings. Um, so with that, I know all of these systems. I've worked in them for close to 20 years and I deploy them and optimize them. So I keep up with it. I'm agnostic. I don't get paid by vendors. I only get paid by RAAs. So it puts me in a really unique position where I work very closely with these uh, vendors. I'm on a lot of their advisory boards. I'm on a lot of their beta testing. I have their software. I have it integrated to show my clients and bring the experience home. My heavy saturation CRM, it's, it's a hub. It's not the hub, but it's a hub. So I work very heavily in CRM, very heavily in process work. And then also in those portfolio management and financial planning tools, I take the process through those systems. So I am an expert in those as well. So it's kind of hard for me to answer your question because I am a little bit. Well, of it was leader. a trick question. The, the correct answer was more than more than you. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What I always tease about is it, what I do is exhausting, which is why there's not a lot of people that do it anymore. There's amazing consultants that work in one space and it's very, you know, purposeful because that one thing, you still have to know multiple vendors in multiple systems. Um, and I, well, I would up- think even if we, even if we step outside the financial services world, I mean, the proliferation of tech and having to put all that together and understand what fits and what doesn't is not Absolutely. just a, not just a financial advisory moment that we're having. It's, it's a moment across industries where, you know, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, we, we needed tech that we didn't have. Now we have it. We just need to understand how to use it. That's exactly it. Everyone keeps saying, I wish that our industry would evolve. You know, we have a lot of people talking about AI, which I love the conversation, but we can't even get addresses moving from system to system at this point. So I think we need to slow our role in a sense of truly adopting the tech. Here's the challenge. Well, it's, it's the sexy conversation. I mean, AI is oh, much, much sexier to talk about than integration. Right? Oh, completely. And also, it's also sexier to walk in when you're at a conference or you're, you know, we're starting to now get together with our peers again, seeing, you know, everybody in the industry to say, you know, to kind of fluff your feathers and say, well, I have Tamarack, I have Orion. But I think what's not being talked about, which is where it gets kind of ugly, is how much it's being used. So, I think the challenge here is not the technology. I mean, it can be, trust me, it can be. But ironically, I'm not implementing half as much as I'm strategizing with firms. The other challenge is a lot of the tech that we use in our industry is for certain segments of our clients. And I don't think a lot of advisors and RAs and planners are talking about that, okay? So for example, When I say to a firm, tell me about your financial planning tools, I'm seeing a trend of many, many firms using multiple tools. I use eMoney and MoneyGuide. I use Right Capital and eMoney. You know, create your own recipe of, you know, the top three that are out there. And it's interesting because when I dive deeper into that and say, well, tell me, tell me a scenario of when you would use Right Capital versus when you would use eMoney. How are you making that choice? And the answer is pretty simple. Either A, the client doesn't need the deep dive of e-money, which it is, you know, it does tend to have a lot more minutia for good purpose. Um, or I, when I have a client that has a lot of, you know, tax heavy pieces that need to be considered, right capital is the right fit. We all know that with these systems having their own kind of, you know, identity. 
But that means that the process you trigger for either the new financial plan or updating the plan needs to be related to the appropriate tool. Because what you do in that tech and where the data needs to push or pull and how you prepare for a client meeting based on that is different. So same thing with risk. Okay. So I say to firms, I'm so glad that you're using, you know, Riskalyze or Totem Wealth or whatever it is. And, and I'll say, so every client has a risk tolerance completed within Riskalyze, correct? Well, not really. Oh, well, does that mean some firms don't have risk? Oh, no, no, no. Everybody has risk. We sometimes use the tools. Sometimes we use paper. Sometimes this is the best. And those on the podcast that are listening, I'm using air quotes because I'm Italian with my hands. Um, sometimes we just know our clients and we have a conversation and we know their risk. Great. I would love for you to say that in front of the SEC and see how that works out for you, right? I'm a tough cookie in that regard. So a lot of the technology is being used piecemeal. It could be dependent upon what an advisor is comfortable with, which is a red flag. There might not be repeatable best practice and requirements for tech usage, okay? Or it's the client doesn't need it or the client might need it. So we use different things depending upon the client scenario. Those client demographics could be age, could be life scenario, could be their, literally their personality. I've shared this before. You and I have had the conversation. You know, I don't want to have any meetings with you as an advisor. I just don't. I'm still going to pay you the same, but don't bother me. Put it all in the portal. Email me to check on me because I don't have the time. I'm a single mom of two teenagers and I'm, I'm running this business, right? And that's not valuable to me. I know you've got my back. I'll pay you, okay? You might have a different client who will pay you the exact same amount that I will, but they want four meetings a year and they want to talk to your you know, receptionist about their dog and drink your coffee, right? So tools you use for me versus that other client are very different, right? I need a high-end client portal. I need to be able to go in anytime. I need the transparency. The other client might need printed statements still sent to mailboxes and somebody calling to schedule an appointment, not calendaring, right? So the tech tools you use are very dependent upon your client's needs. And I think one of the gaps we have, nobody's asking their clients their preferences. It's so crazy to me. And I don't know if you see that, but when I say, well, what do your clients say that they would like? Right? Your A clients, your B clients, your, you know, your middle-aged clients, clients like me, you know, your, 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 your generational clients. I'm, I'm 44, I have two teenagers, but I'm pretty tech savvy, right? Nobody's asking because that's supposed to be our value as advisors or planners, right? I know my clients. That's great that you know them and you have the relationship, but do you know what they might want? And I think yeah. that defines tech. And I think it's a huge gap. And how much of your engagement with a firm is finding the right tech and matching it to process? And how much of it is is translating the pain points from the staff to the advisors and the executives? Good question. It, it always depends as a consultant. But what I always do is come in and do a tech analysis. So just looking at the tech, what are you using? And I start to identify gaps. Do we have stuff on servers? Do we have multiple systems being used? Do we have blanks, right? Do we have a paper icon in the area of, you know, one of the tech systems? From there, that's my kind of roadmap to start asking questions about process. And so what's really kind of interesting is when firms find me and want to work with me, the pain points they identify are not the same ones that I find. 
So you bring up a good point. What a client service person might feel as pain is a completely different pain and awareness than an executive or an owner might find. Okay. So the, let's go with the traditional ones. The executive says, I wish I had dashboards. I wish I knew all of the information on my pipeline. And I wish I knew all of the operational things tied up in a nice little bow on one little tile on a screen. All right. How many outstanding tasks we have, what projects are in the, in play, what my next five meetings are. Okay. Versus a client service person is really in the weeds, right? How many tasks do I have? What's due today? What phone calls, what meetings, what prep, all of that needs to be managed. So the challenge we have in tying all that together is the pain points are usually based off of role. So we have to see, um, and actually this is kind of one of my analogies. If you're, I'm a dog lover, I'm an animal lover. And so if you've ever watched Caesar Milan, who used to be the old dog, oh, sure. whisperer, the dog whisperer. Yeah. and I think he's actually back now, um, but I love him because he's known for one of his quotes, which is, I don't train the dogs. I train the humans. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So sometimes the right tech is in place, but nobody's using it the same way. There's no consistency. So now we're all running with, the, you know, with chickens with our heads cut off. Um, and then also I'm hearing from executives, I'm not hiring more people. I should have enough people. Okay. So if we don't have the consistency of every time a client calls, we do this in the CRM. Every time we're prepping for a meeting, we trigger this and everybody does this. Then I don't care what tech you have in place. You're not efficient and you're struggling to grow. If we have old tech, legacy tech, or we're leaning on something that isn't being used to its full capacity, then we have to revamp that. And I can, I can guarantee you what I always find is, well, we do it that way because, or Carol has been here for 15 years and she just knows it. Or, um, well, technically the workflow says to use e-money, but we use this old system of money tree that's still downloaded on this computer that has its own desk, you know, um, Well, technically we do financial planning, but it's in Excel. Hmm. Okay. So there's all these, what I call, yeah, buts. (laughs) So I challenge firms to really talk about the yeah, buts. And then I have to figure out, is it the tech, is it the firm, or is it a combo of both? So you're right. There's a lot of uncovering there. And and I saw from your reading list that you're uh, somewhat of a Simon Sinek fan. I guess you're, you're working through some of the, some of the things twice. So Yes. Um, is it fair to say that we have an internal why problem uh, as firms grow? I mean, I, I heard you mention how important it was to talk through the entirety of the team and let them know why their role is important uh, as you're helping them. Uh, it, it seems to me that that's probably a common gap or pain point for all firms. And can you discuss, number one, how you do that? And, and number two, why that's important? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I am a Simon Sinek fan, um, huge fan, actually. I think that the firm's why is different than the people's why, right? Than our staff's why. And everybody needs to be aligned to that. So when I started with my firm, I was a part of creating the why. Why are we doing this? What are we building? And I was there for 10 years. When you have legacy staff, they get to see that growth and be a part of the growth. And usually what happens, especially with operation-driven people, is you climb a ladder. 
unfortunately, you usually get more responsibility without a title change and without a salary change. So for anybody listening, that needs to stop. But with that, um, I think that, yes, there is a scary point with technology where staff will actually have a little bit of a pushback because there is a fear that the technology will take their job or take their value. Okay. So why is based off of value? Okay. It's I'm not essentially what, training my digital replacement. Yeah, exactly. And that's, we know that that's not a thing. So if I said to somebody, are you really worried that, you know, the black diamond system is going to take away your position? The answer is no. When it comes to, do you feel like what you were doing before that technology came into place was valuable? And now you're wondering what else you can do of value. Then we've hit, you know, we've hit a sweet spot. So number one, involving your staff in these decisions is a must. And what's crazy is I do not begin engagements with firms with only executives. I require that I get to talk to operations staff, managers, CSAs, whoever you are that's in, instrumental in the growth. Um, and because Truth be told, these executives are not using these systems and the way they tell me they're being used, they're not. Most of these executives are not logging into their CRM every day and entering all the stuff that's supposed to be entered. They're not generating the performance reports. They're not placing the trades. If they are, they shouldn't be. And that's another growth issue, right? I have a lot of owners of RAs that are wearing 19 hats, right? I say, who's your IT firm? And they raise their hand, me. <laughs> who's your trader? Me. Who creates the models? Me. Who's meeting with the clients? Me. And the list goes on. So I think it's important to bring your staff into the picture with the strategy and then the how strategy. And out of that comes the why. Here's why we're doing this. We've recognized that you're spending too much time. We've recognized that you can't dig out of your own hole. We've recognized that our tech is living on legacy platforms. So we have some in the cloud and some on a server and it's not serving our purpose, right? Here's where we plan to go as a firm. You know, one thing executives need to do is tell their staff what they're building. I've had staff on calls with me who say, I'm really worried about us becoming a billion dollar firm. I don't want to get lost. I've loved building this thing, but being a billion dollar firm scares me. And then I'll look at the executives and I'm like, are you building to be a billion, billion dollar firm? Oh no, goodness. No. Right? So we've got one set of staff who are like, we don't want to become that. And the executives are like, don't worry, we won't. But they've never talked about it. Okay. And so here's a quote from you that really hits home for me. You, you talk sure. about the process ultimately is in the executive's head, but most executives struggle to share that wealth. Now, I'm, I'm guilty as charged. On the executive level or the advisor level, how mm -hmm. do we address that? Oh, it is true. If anybody wants to build any technology, speaking of AI, it would be if we could just tap all your brains <laughs> and let it come out into a system, it would be wonderful. Um, I'm not I, sure you might have to take the good and the bad. So I'm, you know. <laughs> I was going to say, careful what we wish for, right? Um, I think that what happens at the executive level is there is a confusion a naive confusion of how we wish we were operating versus how we should be operating. Okay. So the idea of, I wish that we could just onboard a new client and it would be magical. We can do that. 
But when I tell you the tech that is required and the amount of people that is required, and by the way, the people have to have the right skill set, okay? If I tell you we can do that, here's what we need. You need to upgrade these three systems. We need to build about 50 workflows and you need to hire four more people. Can you imagine the looks I get on Zoom? Okay. They're not good, I would well, imagine. Yeah. So it is a myth that technology replaces people. Technology today actually makes you need more people. You need superheroes for each of these systems. You need a champion who's going to, going to oversee it implement the updates, implement the integrations, recheck your processes, update your processes, right? Um, change things according to how the tech now works. And so we actually need more people. So it used to be, and I don't know who started the rumor, I would love to find them, but whoever started the rumor that once we get higher tech, my people have more efficiencies? Absolutely, but those efficiencies does not eliminate a human because you now have an oversight. You have a system oversight and you have an infrastructure oversight. So to answer your question, I think advisors. Well, those, I mean, what those systems are really doing is enhancing the opportunity for engagement, right? They're, yes. they're not necessarily chopping hours off your day. They're, they're giving you more and more opportunities to engage with people and new and new opportunities. Right. And yeah. if you don't have the, if you don't have the people, it, it I, what just blows my mind is when an executive, regardless of their industry, talks to me about how their main goal is to grow. And yet they tell me that they want to keep their headcount stagnant or reduce it. Yep. I'm like, well, that, that doesn't really make a lot of sense right at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but they're, you know, they're kind of committed to it and it's, uh, I'm not sure who started that. I, I think the other thing that we find all the time is that we describe things as being technology that aren't technology. We, we make assumptions about our customers and I know we did it. I'm, I'm guilty of it. When we first, uh, when we first rolled out some of our, uh, you know, some of our portals and some of the connections and things like that, we, we assumed that our 45 to 55 year old high tech executives would just eat it up and love it and use it and just move forward with it. Uh, early adopters, 100% adoption, no problem. <laughs> and really what we found is that most of the time we would get an email from them or a, you know, a contact that would ask them you know, for us to update their password. <laughs> these people were super busy. Uh, you know, so, and some of them even built tech systems or built security systems around tech or whatever, but having the time to actually sit there and mess with it was a different story. Now we might also at the time have thought that our, you know, 70 year and older clients might be intimidated by the technology, not able to use it. And we couldn't have been more wrong. I mean, at yeah, the end of the crazy. day, they I were the ones that had the time. Yeah. Yeah, they had the time. And so we had to really stop and think, are we really describing this right? I mean, if, if we have a, a piece of technology, we're not asking our clients to, you know, go in and look at the code. I mean, we're asking right. them to go through a process, hit a button and expect a particular reaction, you know, which is completely different than technology. It's, uh, you know, it, and so once we kind of got that and realized that there was no, 
there really wasn't a profile of someone who was going to fit perfectly. And there wasn't a profile of somebody who was going to be completely unable to do it. Mm-hmm. What the profile had to be was from the firm outward. We had to do a really good job of explaining what it is they needed to do, why they were needing to do it. Okay, there it is. That's the why, right? So that's another why. So I say that all the time with client experience rollouts, which is number one, you need to tell your clients why they need to be logging in. What is the value? Because they don't understand this, right? We work on the back end of all of these systems and on our business. Okay, we know too much. So it's it's that Wizard of Oz approach, right? Don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. But the clients don't know what a portal is and the purpose. Now, let's look at CPAs, for example. I have a portal with my CPA. I completely understand why I have one for one reason. For him to send me my tax documents and for me to send him his tax documents, my tax documents, right? That's it. But that's because he stays that my CPA stays in his lane and it makes very logical sense in this world. But when we say we do all of these things as a service within the wealth management industry, right? We have all these octopus legs and a lot of advisors are doing a lot more. Sure, I'll look at your mortgage rate. Sure, I'll you know take a look at your net worth, even though I'm not managing the assets. Sure, I can take a peek at your 401k then they don't know why they need a portal because you do so much for them, right? That what's landing in there. So I think it's a value prop of, and there's a couple things here that are sticklers. I call the experience has to be sticky. So number one, you need to tell them why the value. You can find your plan here. You can find your one page plan, your net worth statement. You can find all of your Schwab or Fidelity statements here in case you need to send them to any of your CPAs or estate attorneys. You can find your values. And by the way, share this login. Okay, we'll create a new login for the next generation. Let's give one to your LPOA, right? That's how I got involved in a client experience. <laughs> when you're the doctor, it's the worst to be a patient, okay? But I am a sing- I'm an only child and my mom lived in San Diego. And luckily I had access as her LPOA to all of her financials. We did Zoom meetings before it was even COVID because I wasn't flying out there as often. And um, yeah, and I will tell you, thank God I had access to that. Um, My mom passed away in January and I would have had no clue. And I knew exactly where to go when that event hit. And also that advisory firm had a much better chance, as we know, of keeping me as a client and keeping my mother's assets, right? Sure. Um, now, with a woman, that's still only a you know, 90% chance that we all go. <laughs> but, um, but, but with that, I think there's a value prop there. Number two reason. But, but even the people that go, I mean, there's a, you know, there's a reputation and there's a, you know, there's kind of that positive confluence impact when you end a relationship on the right terms. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe I was your mother's advisor and I, you know, we've had many clients that have unfortunately passed away. And it's like you said, sometimes the next generation stays, sometimes they've already developed a very good relationship with, uh, with someone else. In fact, a, a lot of times that's the case. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not necessarily that they're, you know, leaving you, but it is really nice to feel like, you've tied everything up and you've oh, made that transition because I think yep. that's the promise that we give 
our clients, really. You're absolutely right. And it's it's the promise to that relationship. I completely agree. And I think we need to be upholding that standard. I think that's a standard that you and I have that, that I agree. Um, I think with the client experience, the biggest struggle that I have is we're also not giving clients a reason to go there. So with the confidentiality of data and all of the IT infrastructure that's needed in our industry and beyond because of all of the hacking and data sharing and such. What I see is people have very strong, powerful, you know, valuable portals, whatever you choose, whether it's a standalone or it's part of your portfolio management or financial planning software, but we're not driving clients there. Okay. So what we're doing is we're encrypting an email with their statement. No. Okay. No, no, no. Number one, if you are attaching anything to an email, it shouldn't be. Okay. There should never be an attachment going to a client. Your answer should be, I plopped it in your portal for you. Number one, gets them exposure. Number two, gets them used to it because then they don't send you things. They need to be sending you things through the portal as well. Now you're going to get pushback. Oh, right. You have to have sympathy for these clients and say, you know what? I hear you. I can't order a pizza without using a portal. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I get it. I have 52 of them personally, but here's the thing. We have built an infrastructure to keep your data safe. We no longer attach confidential information via email. And the one way to keep you safe in this environment is to use one place to share information. And that's the one place. Let me help you log in. Let's save it as a favorite. So now every time they need something, you're pinging them to go there. And they might be more apt to talk about it, to be familiar with it, when it really counts when they need to go in it. Yeah, um, you refer to the importance of you talk about I, the importance of milestone celebrations and I yes within our industry and, and of course we tend to all celebrate the same milestones they're you know AUM based or some yeah. you know, some some metric of growth uh, but you talk about doing it differently not only with uh, the milestones that we celebrate with our clients but also the milestones that we would celebrate within the firm can can you expound on that and why you think that's important. Yeah, um, our industry is so age-based, isn't it? Um, And usually we're celebrating an older age. (laughs) Um, You're retiring your anniversary, your anniversary with us as a firm, your anniversary with a partner, which I think, to be truthful and frank, my dentist's office knows my birthday and sends me a postcard and an email. Like, the people who rotate my tires know my birthday and I get an email. So, I think that there's a milestone of relationship that needs to be identified based on those demographics I was telling you about, right? What's important to that client? Um, I think we see the same thing in human relationships, right? So I remember, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of guys who pull out all the stops on Valentine's Day, but most women would prefer you to do it on January 29th, not February 14th, right? So the just because milestones, I think, are really important because clients are feeling like a number. Um, They're feeling like advisors are trying to have meetings with them to check it off the list, not because those meetings are important, valuable, or impactful. So having milestones that are random sometimes encourages conversations with clients 
that open your eyes to other milestones they might be working towards. Okay. Example, my milestones in my firm, in my personal life today is I'm a single mom. I got an 18 year old who just started as a freshman in college. I got a 16 year old who's going to go in two years on your financial planning goals sheet. Of course, college planning is number one, right? But nobody on my, and my advisor and financial planning firm is really saying, well, what are you doing? What's your plan? Right? right. And, and beyond that, what are you dreaming about? If we could get these kids through college, however we do it, right. Whether it's on you or it's on them. Trust me, my kids will have some loans. <laughs> Hopefully there'll be another forgiveness someday and I'll be all right. But with that, um, yeah. What are the other dreams? Do I want to put other people in front of myself? You know, where am I going with things? I have a business where I can work anywhere way before COVID. I've always had this business model. Where do I want to be? What do I want to do? I think those are important, but I don't have the answers. So it would be great if somebody else just called me once in a while and said, hey, I have an idea. Or, hey, how are you feeling about it now that your son is in college? Like, are you feeling like you need to be a little bit more conservative? Um, and I don't want that to be because I came up on their calendar annually. Yeah. If that sense, right? So yeah, I it's think, hard to manufacture significance. It is. And I think the random acts of kindness, I think we're also forgetting, and our industry is very well known for this. We are forgetting to just check in on humans without a reason. And I think when you check in with your clients, you will find an abundance of reasons if you just, just because calls are really important. The things you will find out about where they're traveling, how their health is, who's good and who's not good in their lives is literally your financial plan update. <laughs> um, but when we're preparing for a meeting and we're telling everybody what to bring, the, the just because conversation tends to go to the wayside, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you, this is a kind of a silly So let me example. ask you a question. So from, from your um, perspective, just as a client of an advisory firm, uh, you don't want the quarterly meeting. You do want access to your data and the portal 24 seven. I would imagine you do most of your financial planning between midnight and two in the morning. Spot uh, on my friend, spot like on. Most busy people. Yep. Uh, but yet you do kind of long to have those, not just check the box moments, conversations with, somebody it might not be your financial planner it might be a it might be a therapist it might be a consultant it might be a colleague right how do you as as a small business owner with you know you know with single mom you've got all these different roles right mm -hmm. how and and of course you've got these engagements with clients who are looking to to you to solve their own uh, tech problems how do you let your advisor know what they're miss, what you're missing from the relationship mm -hmm. and what do you expect that response to be? Or do you expect the advisor to, as you said earlier in the podcast, take the time to ask you, mm -hmm. you know, how's this going for you? I, I know you told me you didn't want to meet, but you know, you've, you've got two, one kid in college, one kid approaching, you've got a, you know, an industry where lots of different things are going on maybe we should have that conversation when, when you have, when you have time. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think um, for me, it's just feeling remembered 
but not with the holiday card or the birthday card. So I think we need to get a little more creative here, right? This is where the old school favorites or interests area of the CRM, I think really plays a part. Back in the day, we used to collect. That was a huge area of the CRM, right? She's a Packers fan. She's a Badgers fan. Um, you know, she, uh, you know, loves country music, like whatever those likes are for me, right? Loves her kids. She's a Midwest girl, so she loves going out in the sun because she can't stand the winters, whatever that persona is. We used to collect all this data, but it was like, what's your favorite soda when you come in? And, you know, do you like wine? I think we just have to be more amazing at doing that. When, so my advisor, I did, I mean, truth be told, if it, you know, again, I don't want this to be about me, but my story being a client is I did, I found an advisor that I trusted. I mean, luckily I'm in the right industry when you need to find an advisor, but I found a friend as long as well as an advisor. Um, and well, it might so, be tough to narrow it down though, when you know, like, yeah, it was, it was. And then I was like, Oh, should I do interviews? Make this a big deal though. No. Um, but really what happens for me is I, for example, I got a text last night saying great Packer game, but got me a little worried. Yes. You are absolutely right. I created an ulcer watching the game of the week. Thanks for checking in on me. And he said, I know that tuition payment is coming up. Let me know if you need anything in regards to your, to your TDA account. And also anything you need, I'm always here. He put me on his, I, I now have him on my radar, right? Because he's right. right. Tuition payments are due by the end of October. I think I got it covered, but at the and same time. And he was kind time, enough not to say anything about the Wisconsin game. So that shows. Right. He did not talk about, oh, can you cut that out of this podcast, please? My Lord, that was <laughs> um, I mean, even my younger son was like, I'm just going to turn this off and go. And he was like, I'm going to go watch a movie. I'm like, I don't blame you. Um, so, yes, I think there's little things that you either just check in. And I know that sounds silly, but the idea of, hey, just checking in to see if you're okay. I do that with my clients very often. Sometimes I use an excuse. Hey, Wealthbox just released this, released this new update. I'm just emailing you, by the way, how you doing? If you need me, I'm always here. I can't tell you how many emails I get back. Oh my goodness, we are just thinking about you. Could we have a call? Because there's, you know, but they didn't reach out. It was me saying, I thought about you. By the way, take a look at this quick three-minute video from Wealthbox because I know you're implementing it, but I'm always here, right? So right. I think it's that re-engagement of, you know, little things. I don't know if you've heard of a technology called Bento Engine. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. And so Bento is trying to do a lot of that, and they're building a lot of content, um, saturated content that is based on those milestones. And the first obvious is birth date and, you know, RMD and all the things that a birth date requires us to do, you know, by, by rule, but they're going to expand on that on all the different types of personas and milestones, which is, Hey, we're checking on you, by the way, here's some content, meaning here's some educational information that might help you to back what we're saying or to um, understand what we're talking about. So it's systems like that, that I think are starting to really, take notice. You know, that content piece is a really big deal. I, I talk with, you know, I don't do marketing, but indirectly I kind of do. <laughs> We're all trying to say, you know, how do we communicate with clients? But I think that's also another struggle is what are we communicating about? I don't want to get your newsletter about retirement. I just don't like, I get it. I need to retire and I need to plan for it, but I'm turning 45 this year and I'm going to be working a while. So I would rather get yeah. something that's 
more attuned to me, right? I should get college planning. I should get how to be smart with your money, but still have fun, right? Um, that type of stuff. Um, you know, when my mother was around, she should not have gotten college planning newsletters, nor retirement. She was already retired, <laughs> right? So how to live with your money throughout enjoying your retirement. So I think there's different pieces of the puzzle here that firms are not being sensitive to. And the, what's interesting through our conversation today is a lot of this is segment-based. We segment by AUM only, and it's damaging to firms, right? Yeah. I could have... Well, and you referred to, to a lot of these as little things. And I, I don't know about that. I, th- I think they may actually be the big things because those yeah. are the only, at the end of the day, when, when you talk about the employee worrying about being, you know, re-engineered or optimized out of a job, mm-hmm. I, I think our industry probably has a similar worry in that, you know, over time, uh, technology is going to be able to do maybe not as well as we do it, or maybe better in some cases, who knows. But if you want to have an impersonal experience that's, you know, guided by a calendar that doesn't have any, you know, any personality or uniqueness to it, then, wow, that that sounds like something a computer program can do a lot better than I can. That's Uh, exactly it. And I think you just, you you said it very well. I think um, let's look at the trends in the industry, right? Why did, why was robos a thing? And it's not really a thing. Why did we talk about it for one hot minute? Right. And that's because people are looking for a lot more. Um, And I think that they're looking for it to be tailored to them. And what's kind of crazy is in our industry, advisors and planners are so strong when they talk to me and say, oh, we are unique. We do all this for every client. They do that on the back end. On the front end, it's cookie cutter. And that's what doesn't match, right? right. So I have models specifically for my own client. I do a plan specifically for my own client, right? But then when we go meet with them and the outputs we give them, they're all cookie cutter. And I think that that's where we need to do better. And if they're not cookie cutter, sometimes they, they feel cookie cutter because we haven't taken the time to go back and say, and, and acknowledge, yes, this is a cookie cutter thing. This is something I could do for a thousand yeah. different people. But this yeah. one number here, this one thing right here is why it's important for you. Totally. The only and I think also, we have to remember, everybody's a different type of learner. Remember when we went through COVID and people are like, I can't handle, you know, video calls and I'm not focused. I can't work from home. Like everybody learns different, right? Are they a visual learner? Are they a listening learner? Is it a combination of both? Also, what they're looking at has impact, okay? So it's funny, you know, there's all these trends. You're part of the FinTwit community. You know, there's all the one-page plans coming out. I love it, but a lot of those one-page plans, clients don't understand. They also don't understand performance reports. It's our job to educate them, but also do they care, right? So what I say to my advisor is, I get it. I'm in the industry. I would rather see the map and the goals and the net worth. I don't, the rest of it, I trust you. You're running that train with my investments and I get it. Um, and I trust you with that. And we are under the same understanding. So I think the outputs too, you know, um, you know, I remember I used to use my mom as my guinea pig when I would test out technology. So like I would send her the risk tolerance questionnaire and say, tell me how far you can get without talking to me. Right. And question two, she'd, you know, call me, I don't get this. Okay. That's all I needed to know. Test executed. Right. Um, 
and we would sit with her advisor on Zoom, he would be talking and I could see my mom's eyes glaze over. So I would shift and I know how to do this, right? And I would say, can <laughs> my mentor used to always say, right, spare me the labor pains, show me the baby, which is the operational way for, you know, I don't want to know the weeds, tell me the goal. And so I used to have to tell her advisor, can we just talk about, she needs to feel safe. Can you talk about the things that you've put in place to make her feel safe and sleep well at night? And those are the, that's different. I was into all the weedy stuff in her performance and what has she invested in. And so I think that we have to understand what type of learners and understanders are our clients. Um, and I think we need to present and give output in that way. And nobody's asking, right? And your clients aren't going to tell you. I might because I'm a forward person. Well, I think there's another. I think there's another thing that's not happening, and I know, I know, I was guilty of it. Uh, one of the one of the things that's really helped about doing this podcast is it really helps with the concept of preparation and the concept of distilling a message into a into a format that can be easily digestible by the person who's listening. And mm-hmm. I don't think that people in our industry are doing enough on the front end. I mean, we should know that your favorite cover color is green. We should know that you're, that, that you like to cook. We should know that Italian dishes are your favorite. Those should be like, if I'm preparing for a podcast, I should have read pretty much everything you've done. Listen to most, I mean, I should have done my work. Right. Mm -hmm. And the same is true for a client. They have a life that goes way beyond what their net worth is there's at least two or three interesting things you can find about every person on the planet earth. I'm, I'm a huge believer in that. Uh, and at the end of the day, maybe those aren't something that comes up in the first conversation or the second conversation, but it's just that compendium of knowledge over somebody who you're wanting to have a long-term relationship with. Let's be honest. I mean, this isn't a sales this isn't a sales model anymore. This isn't something where I've got to get your attention for 45 minutes and get you to sign three papers and right, right. And, and we're done. Right. This is a, this is a mm-hmm. long-term game. And yep. so what I always think about is, you know, the preparation that you put into doing a podcast should be done internally in your firm. And I don't think it's being done. I think we're, I think ad hoc, we're explaining these reports to clients in 14 different ways, depending on who's explaining it and who's receiving the explanation. I don't think it's being practiced. I don't think the preparation is there. And at the end of the day, you've got all of this great information and you're probably spending some money on training in the software. You're probably spending, uh, you're definitely spending some money on the software if you're brave enough, you have a consultant like Kristen come in and tear your <laughs> processes apart and tell you where you can get better. Uh, okay. You should probably couple that with some therapy. I mean, <laughs> right? Right? watch out, watch um, out. But you're yeah, right. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can work a two for one deal with. Uh, yeah, right. I was going to say, gosh, that doesn't sound very enjoyable, does it? But you're absolutely but, right. I think where advisors are going wrong and planners especially is they are walking into meetings with clients and have for 50, 60 years, which is. I am going to show you my value. And that is not why you're there. You are actually supposed to be selfless and actually say, here's what I did for you. 
It is right. not about you as an advisor or planner in that meeting. It's not. You are second string. And you are supposed to be operating for them in the background so that they can move on with their lives and they can enjoy their lives. And you're helping as a huge part of that. But advisors and planners want front stage there and you don't get to have that. So if you're walking into a meeting about here's what I did for you, wrong approach. And that's why your business isn't growing. You should be walking into that meeting with how are you? And let's take a look at how I see you're doing. Okay. It is a very much a vision problem and it is not about us. We are actually just the, you know, the, the purpose of moving our clients forward and feeling secure and feeling safe, but we're supposed to be doing that in hiding. The meetings are just to confirm that you're doing the right things, right? So when we go to the dentist office or to the doctor's office, the dentist doesn't come in and say, I am here to fix your teeth. No. Okay. Here are all my credentials. And I would love to tell you all of the great things I've done for people's mouths in the past 10 years. Who cares? Right. I need that dentist to walk in and say, how you doing? I heard your tooth is hurting. I'm the right one for the job. Let's dig in. And I've got you, by the way. It's going to be fine. Because I cried in the dentist's office. I'm a tough cookie. I've had two children, but I can't do it. Right? So doctors are not walking in saying, hello, I'm your doctor. Let me tell you all about me. No. Let's look at your actual, uh, you know, documents in, uh, in my uh, doctor folder. And let, let me show you what I created for you. No. When we go to the doctor, they say, let's look at your x-rays. Right? I'm going to put in this prescription. I hear that you're not feeling well. Let's get you fixed up. So I don't know why we've gotten so egotistical in our industry to think that we should walk in and it's about us projecting our value on them. They picked you. They know your value. Your job is to keep it. Well, like all OGs, our best work is always done in silence. So, mm-hmm. And uh, you're probably the original OG in... Uh... Uh, in your industry and all your work gets done in silent. Nobody ever comes out and says, boy, Kristen really saved our, uh... it's true. It's true. Most firms don't like to say that they're working with me, but at the same time can't live without it. So I I'm okay with that. Um, I love working with firms and seeing the work on the back end um, because it does, if you do this work on the back end, it does project itself to show and shine through to your clients. Absolutely. Well, as someone who's heard the stories from other firms and, and seen you in action, I know that, uh, I know there's a lot of firms in our industry who uh, are indebted to you for uh, helping them get across some of those pain points that they couldn't Aww. have gotten across without you. Well, thank I'm, you. I I'm love so appreciative of uh, having you on the podcast and you spending a little bit of time with us and wishing you the best of luck. And thank you so much. Thank you. Grateful to be here. And that's a wrap for this episode of A Voice from the Hills podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And just a reminder that for access to this episode and all prior episodes, you can follow A Voice from the Hills podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcast content. We'd love it if you would subscribe to the pod, post a review, give us a rating. If you'd like updates on future podcasts and all our other content, you can also follow A Voice from the Hills and Silicon Hills Wealth Management on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Silicon Hills Wealth and the services we offer, please check us out at our website at siliconhillswealth.com. And please know that your engagement and feedback is truly a gift. We can only do our best work when you are here to listen. Thank you.